We are in our final week of our series entitled Counterfeit. And each week we've been looking at a different counterfeit claim out of Scripture, a claim that looks like the real thing, but is completely bogus. Right? And as Pastor Tim said, these are the, the, the claims that you see on the back of Christian people's cars, on bumper stickers, right? Christianese statements, things like Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Or God helps those who helps themselves. And each week we've been looking at the false claim. We've examined that claim, the problem with that claim, the source of that claim, and then sought to find out what is the solution? What is the, what is the solution to the problem? And so this week our counterfeit claim that we are looking at is God said it, I believe it, that settles it? God said it, I believe it, that settles it? And listen, it does not disappoint like all the others. It has been seen on the back of a vehicle. Right, Jamie O'Neill of the Sacramento News and Review reports this. He says, I'm at a stoplight, and the guy ahead of me has a license plate frame that reads, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I study the back of his head, gauging for its thickness. He says, you have to love an attitude like that, so open, so curious, so relentless in the quest for truth and understanding. Here is a soul so determined to make things simple that he can frame his entire belief system in a license plate frame. Remember those old contests that asked for a reply to a question in 25 words or less? This guy in the car ahead of me managed to answer all the questions on the planet in just nine words. Plato, Aristotle, Confucius, Dear Abby, Dr. Phil, dimwits, all of them compared with the license plate philosopher in the car ahead. Right? We laugh and we understand that. But I've got to confess with this counterfeit claim, I'm a little bit sympathetic towards it. Right? That's not always the case, not always sympathetic towards some of these bogus ideas, but I'm a little sympathetic because I think I understand what, what we get at and what we mean when we say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Because most of the time, the statement comes from a high regard for Scripture. Right? It comes from someone who believes that, yes, I believe in the truth of Scripture. It comes out of a desire to align oneself with the truth. And especially in a world where there is no absolute truth, we desire to have a stable foundation. And on top of that, think about it. Christianity is what? It's, it's based on the idea of faith and trust in something you can't see or touch. So on the surface, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, doesn't sound so bad. But here's the thing. While God said it, I believe it, that settles it, might have a reverence for God's word, it most certainly has a shallow view of God's Word. right? Because think about it, right? Scripture is not always clear. It's not always black and white. 
Why do you think there are countless denominations and different understandings and interpretations of Scripture? Right? John, think about this. Just Jesus himself, right? You look in the book of John, and in John 6, what does Jesus say? He calls himself the bread of life. Right? And in John 8, he calls himself light. John 10, he says, I'm the gate in one verse. And then a few verses later, he says, I'm the shepherd. So here's my question. Which one is he? Is he a shepherd? Is he a gate? Is he light? Is he bread? If he's bread, what kind of bread is he? Is he white bread, wheat bread, gluten-free, GMO, non-GMO? What kind of bread is Jesus? It's not always clear. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Come to me as a child. And Paul says what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of different. Even in James chapter 4, James says, whoever makes himself a friend to the world is an enemy of God. So does that mean if you recycle and you're a friend of the world, that that all of a sudden you are an enemy of God's? Right? You drive a hybrid vehicle, but now you're God's enemy? No, it's not always black and white. It's not always clear. Peter himself even says that. He says it's not always clear. He's talking about the Apostle Paul And in 2 Peter, he says, Just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Listen to what he says. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things that Peter says. There are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. As they do with other scriptures. You see, the problem with saying that God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Is that oftentimes it's just a quick fix to having to wrestle with the truths of Scripture. Think about it. Jesus came to make plain the truth. But applying the truth is not simple. Jesus came to make plain the truth, but applying the truth is not simple. Simple. It's hard work internalizing God's word into our hearts and into our lives. It's tough. And so so often when we say that, while we might be reverent, oftentimes when you hear God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's a badge of honor, isn't it? Like, well, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that God said it. And therefore, I believe God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Guess what? Whoop-de-doo! Right? Whether or not you believe that it's true has no relevance to whether or not it is true. Your belief about it is irrelevant. God's word is true. And so the question is, uh, what are you doing with it? Right? Because if, God's, if you're saying, well, God said it, I believe it, that sells it. Okay, great. And if you're wearing it as a badge of honor, then I'm not sure you've read it all that much. Because that sounds very much like the Pharisees. And what did Jesus think about them? Didn't get along real well with them, did he? Matter of fact, they ended up killing him. And so this morning, that's our problem, is that so often when we say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We miss the application of God's word into our hearts and into our lives. And therefore missing the purpose of the scripture. And so that's our problem this morning. But where then is the source of our problem? And I think it comes from 2 Timothy 3, chapter 16 and 17. And this is what it says. It says, all scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning. Reveal to us, Holy Spirit, your living Son through your word. In Christ's name, amen. I think it comes right here. Where's the the source of God said it? I believe it. that settles it. Right here in the first few words of verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some interpretations say all scripture is inspired by God. And so it's a question of biblical inspiration. Essentially, that's a fancy way of saying, how did this become the word of God? How did this become God's word? And if you think there's a lot, if you think this is a simple uh, concept, you are dead wrong. There are so many books and books and books written about this idea. And how exactly did, did the Bible become God's word? But suffice it to say, there's essentially three different camps of, of people when thinking about the inspiration of God's word. There's a group that says, we believe the Bible is the word of God. That would be us, that we believe the Bible is the word of God. You've got another camp that believes that the Bible contains the word of God, right? And then the Bible becomes the word of God. It is the word of God. It contains the word of God, and it becomes the word of God. Of God, And we land in that first camp, the Bible believe, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, that scripture as it was originally recorded is the inspired word of God. And say, so, well, how did God do this? Right? That's the next question. Well, so how then did God actually do this? Did he like take control over somebody's psyche? You know, and you imagine like, Paul sitting in a jail cell and all of a sudden he has this transcendental experience where he's like, I don't know how this got written down, but it got written down. Right? No. Right? It didn't just mechanically take over the the writers of Scripture as a robot. But as Charles Ryrie states, he said it was an organic process. It's God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their personalities, they composed and recorded without error... God's revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. That he didn't just, he superintended, but he didn't dictate the material, write this down. But he, and he used the individual author's styles and their influences. Nevertheless, the product that we are left with in the original manuscripts was without error. And so I think that this is the source of the God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But the question then still remains, if God's word is inerrant, it's without error, if it's infallible, without mistake, what's the solution? Because it sounds like they're right. And again, they're right in the sense that we should have a high regard for Scripture. But the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we doing the hard work of applying it to our hearts, to our heads, to our hearts? And to our hands, because Jesus, again, Jesus came to make the truth simple, but applying the truth is not 
simple. And so here in 2 Timothy is the solution, though, because Paul tells us how do we replace the, the falsehood that we believe with truth? How do we then do that work? What does that look like to do the hard work of applying Scripture to our lives? How do we apply it to our lives? What good is God's Word to us in a practical sense? And Paul tells us right here in this is a solution. And this is what he says. I'm going to read it again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Right? So it's, it's useful. It's good. It's sufficient. It's productive. For what? For teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so it's clearly that it's good. And how is it good? Well, the first thing that Paul says and the first thing that we see is that it's profitable for teaching, for instruction, right? The content. Yes, the Bible contains rules. The Bible contains law, do's. And don'ts, which essentially is teaching us what? That life is best lived within the confines that God has established. Right? But it's more than just a set of rules. Because it's a story. It's a narrative of God's plan of redemption. The Old Testament. The New Testament. Right? Creation. Where God creates and it's good. And then oh so quickly, the fall. Where Adam and Eve sin. And therefore so do we. But then you've got the great rescue where God doesn't leave us in our own sin, but he sends his perfect son to rescue us. And then you've got restoration where if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, then we can have eternal life and not just in heaven, but in here. And so the gospel and scripture is God's story of redemption, of buying us out of slavery that says you We're dead in your trespasses, but I made you alive in Christ. And that's the the beauty of the scripture. It's useful for teaching that. That's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we do it, because it's important to learn God's word, to learn it in our heads so that we can, the Holy Spirit can massage it into our hearts, and then we can put it into action. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have VBS next week, right? Are you signed up to help for VBS? Do you see that it's not just summertime babysitting? Look, I get it. For some people, vacation Bible school, they are dropping their kids off because they do not want to deal with them. Guess what? I was that child. My mother sent me one summer to like four different VBSs in Morganton, North Carolina, okay? By the time I got to like number three, it was like, really? I did this two weeks ago. I know all the answers. I know the games. I know what we're going to do. I'm going to win. It's like, hey, VBS boy, sit down. Be quiet. Right? But it's not just babysitting. It's not just babysitting. It is taking the word of God. Big deal, right? Like, who were we that God should want to communicate with us? We're not that great. You're not that great. I'm not that great. But he does. He reveals himself to us. He says, I want you to know me, and I want to know you. And so what we're doing is we're taking God's word, and we're saying, hey, we want our children to know this. We want the children of the church to know this. And we want the children in our community and in Thomasville to know God's word and what it means to their life. And so that's why we do VBS. But it's not just for teaching. Paul says it's for reproof. Another word for reproof is rebuking. 
right, to correct false behavior. And it's a strong word and it's strong language and nobody likes it, but everybody needs it. Right, it's a standard that the church and the elders and people have who have spiritual authority over us can come and can say, hey, look, I'm looking at God's word and I'm looking at your life and something doesn't add up. And so scripture is used to convict us of sin. And it sounds really bad, except for the fact that what does Paul say in Romans? He says that one of the purposes of the law is to show us that we break it. And therefore, what? Pushing us to Jesus. And so it's useful for reproof, but it's also useful for correction. But correction here is not a bad thing. It's not two negatives piled on top of each other. Correction here is restoration in the right position. Think about a picture frame that's fallen down. In order to correct it, what do you have to do? You have to stand it back up and put it in the right position. And that's what Paul is saying. It's a positive correction for those who actually have received the negative. Correction. Think about 1 John 1, 9. Jesus says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so scripture is useful for repentance, for bringing us back into a right relationship with God. And it's not this, oh, woe is me. I'm ashamed of this. No, no, that's not repentance. Repentance is absolutely glorious. It says that you are a train wreck But Jesus has made us alive with Christ. That we stand not on our record, but on the record of Jesus. And therefore, we are forgiven. And we can relish in that and glory in that. And we can be changed by that. So all of of the Christian life is faith and repentance. It's realizing, oh man, I blew it. But thanks be to God for Jesus who leads us in triumphal procession. So it's about repentance and it bringing us back and restoring us to God and to each other. And lastly, Paul points out it's useful for training and righteousness. Scripture trains us how to be good spouses, how to be good parents, how to be good children, how to run our businesses, how to manage our finances. Jesus talked more about money than almost anything else. So if you think it doesn't matter, it does. He taught more about that than anything else. How to do life. How do we train in godliness? It's through the word of God. And then Paul finishes up with the why right here. He says, so that we may be content. So that we be, another way of saying is complete. So that we may be capable and adequate and equipped. He says, equipped for the good work. See, scripture equips us and empowers us to live a righteous life. So our desire this morning and really throughout this series is to replace the falsehoods that we believe with the truth. Right? And the best way to determine if something's counterfeit is to study the real thing. Pastor Tim talked about in the first part of this series, right? The $100 bill. How does the FBI, how do people know what's a counterfeit? They don't study the counterfeit. They study the real thing so that when the counterfeit introduces itself... They know it immediately. So that's our desire this morning is that we would be a people who are diligent about studying the truth and diligent about asking the Holy Spirit to apply it, not just to our minds, but to our hearts and to change our homes and our marriages and our families and our cities and our businesses as a result of God's word. 
And so we close out this series. I want to encourage you, spend some time this summer studying the real thing. Summer's not over yet. And if you don't have a summer reading plan, find one, get one. Email me, email Tim or Elizabeth or whoever. Get a summer reading plan. Dive in to God's Word. Come to Sunday school. Do it together because we're meant to do life together. Do it in community. Do it together. Start today to wrestle with the truth claims of Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit again to change our hearts and our lives that we may not only be changed, but the world around us might be changed as well.